So brothers and sisters, as we come this morning to this passage, just a uh, question to consider. In this time of so much sickness and, and so much going on, would you rather have a doctor who could nail the diagnosis of any ailment you have? Or would you rather have a doctor who has perfect bedside manner and care and compassion for you? Which one would you choose? This or that? I say, well, I'd like to have a doctor like Danny or Teve who has both of them. But what if you can't have both? What if you can only have one? I share a story about a year ago where I had one who kind of had neither. <laughs> about a year ago, I was going through my multiple surgeries, my knee, my heel, and they noticed hooking you up to straps and all that. You've got this inverted T-wave thing. Something's going on with your heart. Okay? I'm a runner. I don't, I don't care about that. I don't need this. But no, my, my uh, primary care said, you need to go see this cardiac uh, specialist and he's going to help you out with your inverted T-wave, whatever that is. So I go in to see this doctor, and he starts off by saying, you know, and I don't even want to be there. I'm like, what's the point of this? He says, how are they taking it at home? How are your children, how are your wife doing? Are they kind of scared? Whoa, I didn't know we should be. Are you reading about this on the Internet? No. Well, don't. Don't go do that. What? What are you talking about? You need to, this is bizarro. This is really bizarro. Like, stop using, I mean, bizarro. You keep that word to yourself. This is my heart. <laughs> he says, well, I want you to go get this cardiac MRI. Go get this test done. So I'm thinking, I put it off for a long time. I don't want to have this done. I don't want to pay for this. I don't want to have this done. So I go there and I show up. And you know how you have to pay your little thing initially to go in there. And I'm thinking, man, this is going to be $500 out of pocket. And the total bill is probably going to be about 5000 I don't even want to have this done. So I go in there. They put the sheet in front of me. And they say, hey, your upfront cost for today is $5,500. And the total bill is going to be $96,000. So what, are you doing heart surgery today? I thought this was an MRI. So I ended up just, I left. I'm like, I'm not paying this much. So I reach out to the doctor. And the nurse responds and says, Hey, we sent in the wrong orders. It's supposed to be this. No, I'm sorry. No, we freaked you out. Just different orders, okay? So it didn't have that expert diagnosis nor that compassion that we so long for. So what does it have to do with today's passage? Today's passage is in, we could call it Dr. Paul's family practice, where he is going to compassionately care for his congregation, and he's going to nail the diagnosis of what the heart issue is for them with their faith. So the big idea as we come into this is to just think about this. As important as our physical well-being is, and it is important because God cares about our bodies, so much more is it how are we doing spiritually with our faith. So I invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians 3. And in this passage, we're going to see Paul wants to see his congregation, the word there in the Greek is that he wants to see them face to face, but he can't. He cannot be with his dear loved ones. He doesn't want to just text or email. He wants to see them, but he can't. So we're going to see in this relationally rich passage how Paul reaches out 
and cares for his congregation. So I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Here now, Paul writes and God speaks to us this wonderful word. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you? For all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God. As we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Pray with me. Father, I simply pray. We all, I am, in some way, this morning, lacking, needy in our faith, would you minister to each one of us this morning? Grow our faith. In your son's name, amen. You may be seated. I invite you, in your bulletins, there is a, an outline in there that you can take a look, uh, look at. I encourage you to do that. And another encouragement I only have two and a half pages of notes, so we're going to try to keep it a little bit shorter. Do we have a little amen to that? Get Baptist, amen, short, keep it short. And even as I'm saying that, I know my children will say afterwards, while you were telling us you're going to keep it shorter, you wasted time by telling us and making it longer. Okay, so let's get going. In your outline, you'll see this, a simple what John Frame, a theologian, he would find all these patterns of threes in Scripture. Triplets or triads, you know, there's the, whole, uh, the Trinity for sure, but he finds so many others. So this is my attempt at a John Frame type of triad around faith. We're going to see where Paul chases after the faithful, okay, where he checks on the measure of that faith. How is that faith doing? And then he's going to cherish or challenge the faith that he finds in his congregation, in his family practice of those that Dr. Paul is caring for. And so I invite you also, keep your Bibles open, and let's begin walking through this. In verses 1 through 5, we're going to see Paul is chasing after those he cares about. In verse 1, and, and we're going to call this, the qualities of a pastor we want, as Paul ministers, as he is a pastor, to these folks. In verse 1, it says that Paul, he's, he's in Athens, okay? He's in Athens. He can't be with his people. If you know anything about Athens, and, and Donna and I visited there, beautiful place, 
but still even today, ripe with all kinds of old gods stuff and relics of, of pagan worship. And so Paul is in the midst of that and having to deal with that. And he would like Timothy to be, where, be with him, to encourage him. But he's saying, you know what? I'm going to send my best. I'm going to send my best even if it causes me a cost to do that. He pursues the flock through Timothy. So how does it make you feel when a shepherd, a pastor, a deacon, an elder, a friend comes to get in your business? They're doing it out of love. Okay, They're pursuing you out of love. And so a hint here, an encouragement would be don't hide. Don't hide when that elder, when that deacon comes to check on you out of love. Don't hide from them. The second, in verse 2, is that Paul is humble. He's not about building his own empire. Other leaders are partners that he's working alongside, that he's working along with Timothy. He doesn't have a problem with other leaders because it's about God's service in the gospel of Christ. Many pastors can get caught up in what we call the, the nickels and the noses, right? That's not what this pastor is about. He's about building uh, the, the church for the Lord's sake. I'm reminded of a story about not a pastor, but a professor. The professor lecturing in the classroom. He goes on and on about this new book that he's written and about how great it is. And then he finishes up. He says, well, enough about me. Now you tell me what you liked about my book. Sometimes pastors can go there too, where it becomes too much about them. We're not about that here with this pastor we want in this passage. In verse 3, we see that Paul speaks truth. Paul speaks truth about the afflictions that both they and he would experience. He says that you were destined or appointed to them. You will experience trials. You will experience hardships. And he means that as an encouragement, not a pessimistic statement. He's saying this is a fact, so when you experience them, lean into them. Expect them. It's not because something's wrong with you. Expect this. I think of our dear brother, Phil Sanders, going through his treatments for, for brain cancer now who we pray for. And fortunately, things are going well. Praise God for that. But early on, a friend came to Phil and basically gave Phil the message and said, you just got to have enough faith. If you have enough faith, you're going to be healed. And he was putting that, or she was putting that burden on Phil, an extra load. Phil could have just shrugged it off and said, thanks, but Phil was bold and loving and said, no, that's not what it's about. We are going to take on afflictions. It's God's calling for us so often. And to do it faithfully. So our brother was receiving and speaking truth from God's word in that. And fourthly, Paul embraces hardship himself. He's not just saying, do as I say, not as I do. He's saying, I'm experiencing these same hardships also. And I don't know of many, if any, in the congregation that I speak to who aren't suffering in some way. 
Brothers and sisters, because we are destined to it. We are appointed to it, so we embrace it. The famous preacher George Whitfield said this, and interestingly, George Whitfield was one, if you read about him, his voice was so loud, he wouldn't have needed any kind of mic here. He could have been across the street there and spoken loud enough that we would have all heard this. But this is what Whitfield said about embracing hardship. He said, I am about now to take orders in my degree and go into the world. What will become of me, I know not. All I can say is I look for perpetual conflicts and struggles in life and hope for no other peace but only a cross while on this side of eternity. So the pastor embraces hardship. And then he's attentive. In verse 5, we see that he's attentive to what? To their faith. He is chasing, he's attentive to seeing how their faith is. And one thing that's, that's exciting for a pastor is to get to know special things about each person in the congregation. To get to know uniquely how God is working in your life, how God has gifted you. I think of a story recently, many of you know Howard Fowler is kind of the gift of puns, right? You can't have much of a conversation about him where you're going to spin a pun out there. But you might not know, many years ago, he was teaching at a school in Ohio, teaching his advanced physics. And he would use a pun here and there in class to keep the class engaged. You know, advanced physics might not be the most riveting topic for most folks. But he's teaching. He's going through the school year. He, he reels off another pun. And all of a sudden, the class erupts in cheering. And somebody comes up from the back of the classroom hands him a statue kind of of himself and said, Mr. Fowler, you just did the 1,000th pun of the year in this class. I think I might have done 100 puns in my life. He did 1,000 in that one class. The brilliance of how God is gifted, Howard Fowler, and done so much of that with you as well. The pastor's attentive to seeing how God's working, those evidences of grace in the congregation. And then wrapped into all of this is that the pastor enjoys his work. Enjoys his work. And I think of Pastor Adam last week. If you remember at the end of his sermon, he was just encouraging redeemers, saying how much he loves this congregation because of the way that you have served, because of the way that you have given because of your love for the Lord. And I was touched and said, there is a pastor who enjoys his work, who gets what Paul is doing here. So we are thankful for someone like Pastor Adam who enjoys his work that is wrapped into chasing after faith. So our application on this is simply, don't be a hider. Don't be a hider. When someone comes to check on you, don't play hard to get. Let the shepherds into your life. They're not playing big brother. They want to encourage you in your faith. And that leads into the second point. The checkup. The second C. That Paul is checking or in medical terms he's, he's taking a pulse. He's looking at some vital signs. In verse 6 we see Timothy returns. There may have been multiple visits there or letters. And, but we're going with this one. Paul is encouraged about what? That word again, their love 
and faith. Faith shows up again. How they're doing means so much to Paul. In verse 8, the ancient church father interprets it this way. Basically saying, without this good report, we do not even think it life to live. That he cares that much about how they're doing. He even refers to it as euangelion, as gospel. It's that important for Paul to hear this message. So we think about when you go get a physical, okay, you probably remember some of your numbers from that. Maybe it was your pulse, your blood pressure, LDL, HDL, this or that. I mean, it's amazing the slew of different statistics they're getting from your blood, the sodium, all that. So once you get those, how many of you change something about what you eat or about your exercise? You're paying attention to that. Paul is saying, that much more, I want you to pay attention to your spiritual statistics and numbers of what are there. And scripture, in a sense, has that kind of qualities or numbers that we can pay attention to. Paul's friend Peter, in 2 Peter 1, those of you who have been in on the Peter study, we looked at 2 Peter 1 where Peter takes what's called a a golden chain. And he says, with your faith, you want to grow your faith, your faith should be growing. Add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And he goes on with this list of qualities that are hopefully there in our lives that help us to grow in our faith. Do we care? Do we care? We should. It's like a road map or a golden chain there of a spiritual checkup that we can see how we're doing in our faith. And there's to think of that, too, with the checkup, there's value in accountability. To listen when someone gives us a challenge. There are Timothys. There are Pauls all around us. Are we listening when they challenge us lovingly about how we're doing? And for me, it could be as simple as the lesson from picking up dog mess. What a powerful lesson. Don and I were out walking Aspen the other day. And Aspen did her business in somebody's yard. Now, interesting note, you might not know that the American Journal of Honesty points out that 83% of people wouldn't pick up the dog mess unless they thought somebody might be in that house looking out and can see me whether I'm leaving it or not. That's right. You can get that along with the American Journal of Gullibility. But anyway, so I go and I take the plastic bag and I pick up the dog mess wrap it up and I'm carrying it and Donna's like I'm gagging that smells and I go you're not even carrying it why are you complaining and she goes why are you so grumpy what's going on with you it's like ooh and I thought that she got me there was something under my skin that was there that I needed to hear that challenge what's going on What's going on? Our walk with the Lord, our faith can bring joy or can bring grief to others. Mine was bringing grief to Donna. So even here in this passage, we see that the faith of the Thessalonians, 
basically is a biography that we're looking at, affects us. Our faith affects others. There are times when you get those numbers from the physical and we realize it's go time. This cholesterol level, I got to do something to change that now. Well, there might be an area of sin in your life, my life, that we've not hit head on in its go time. It needs to change now. Maybe that's what God's stirring in your heart and faith this morning. But there might also be some here where it isn't sin. It's, it's a calling to step out in faith. Maybe there's a youth here this morning where it's like, I'm being called to missions down the road. It could be a stirring to step out in greater faith. Could be that the pulse is strong to do something more in faith. In either case, whether it's step away from the sin, repent of that, or to step into something in greater faith, don't pull a Rocky. In when Apollo is training Rocky, and Rocky just says, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll, tell you, I'll do it tomorrow. And Apollo says, What's the matter with you? There is no tomorrow. God could be calling us today, today, to change from that sin, to embrace the greater tomorrow. I mean, there I just did it. To embrace in greater faith what he's calling us to. Don't wait until tomorrow. And that's not just a message for type A people, even though we're all waiting to be created, uh, converted to being type A. It's a calling. Don't harden our hearts. Don't harden our hearts. So there are plenty of people who are taking the pulse, we could say corporately, taking the pulse of America corporately. Yeah? America's struggling. America's struggling. We can say that. Now, we can just stay on the sidelines and throw rocks and say, they, they, they. Or, story of Antonio Gwynn. After a riot in his hometown, what did he do? Got up the next morning, worked for 10 hours, just cleaning up, cleaning up the mess. By the time others came out to clean up, he'd basically done it. So this young guy, wanting to go on to college, somebody hears about his story, some guy gives him a car. Some other guy gives him insurance for the car, and then a local college gives him a scholarship there. He was just taking the pulse and saying, this is a mess. I'm going to step out and clean it up. Or you might be saying, what can I do as part of Redeemer? Thankfully, Redeemer, we have, there's so many ministries of Redeemer or of the PCA in general where we can step out and serve and do things. Teve and I had a lunch just this past week with somebody within the PCA, part of the prison ministry. And there's opportunities where folks can just write letters, correspondence to inmates. The inmates will go through some, some uh, training, theology training, Take, go through some material, send it in. You can grade it and write a letter back to them. They write back to you. Correspondence is providing input into their lives where you can go into the prisons and preach and teach. We'd love to embrace that sometime down the road. But all that to say, if God is stirring in your heart, there are things we can do. 
So the point here is pay attention to the signals. Pay attention to the signals that God may be sending there and make your pastor happy. That leads to the third point, the final point. Paul longs to take care of that third C, to cherish or to challenge us in the faith. Paul, who is chased after the flock, recognizes the evidence of grace in their faith. He's checked the pulse, and then he challenges, he cherishes by, in verse 10, it says that he seeks to supply. And that simply means that he wants to strengthen uh, and enhance their faith in what is lacking. And the word there for lacking could mean uh, something where it's a sin issue, or it could mean something that just needs to blossom and be built up. And that's the pastor's heart, to find evidences of grace and to help them thrive in the congregation. And that's what's going to happen in the rest of First Thessalonians, is Paul is going to unpack for them. Here are ways that you're lacking in your faith, and let's grow in them. And let's grow in them. And I close with this. This is not a be like Paul message. Okay, everybody go be like Paul. No. I want us instead to look at this from what fancy term, redemptive historical view of Scripture. What do we mean there? R-H, redemptive historical. It just means this, simply put. If you look at the Bible as a whole, we hear the Bible is God's love letter to you. Yes, it is. But let's look at it a little bit broader, deeper than that. If we look at Scripture as a whole, God provides the creation, the wonderful creation that is perfect, but then the tempter. We saw it in this passage, the message of the, te- the, the mention of the tempter. Satan steps in and there is the fall. So we go from creation to fall. But even there, in the sin of Adam and Eve, God steps in immediately and says, there will be a redeemer. And the rest of the Bible is about him. And we see then unfolding through the prophets and every leading up to Christ, incarnate, dies, resurrected for us. And then we're in this in-between time, leading up to the second coming. And we're looking back to Christ and we're looking forward to his coming. And when we sinned, we could put it this way, when we sinned in Adam with the fall, our pastor, our perfect pastor, our perfect shepherd, Jesus Christ, chased us. He left the Father in the incarnation, died, resurrected. He now checks on us, rejoices in our health, and cherishes us by readying us for his return. So for two folks here this morning, maybe or watching, maybe you're a skeptic. This is not a just tweak a few things. My cholesterol's off a little bit. You know, I I have an anger problem. I need to be a little more loving and kind. This is not just tweak a few things. This is a complete paradigm shift if you're just a skeptic. You need to realize that the most important vital sign in your life that you are to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. You can't tweak that. It's a paradigm shift where you give your life to Christ. 
that is what we would encourage you to do. But for the believer, maybe in, you, in this season you feel like, man, I'm just, I'm just swimming head down. I'm just swimming, swimming, swimming. It's all I can do right now. And kind of doing this in the open water swim. Maybe this is called a look up. Sight the buoy. Sight the buoy. Where, where am I going? And it's to look at things, as we're saying, with this redemptive historical view of what Christ is doing throughout all history. And just to say, yes, what I'm doing, Lord Jesus, I'm doing it for your sake. I'm doing it for your glory. That is what you're calling me to do. Lord, thank you for calling me that. This reminder that you long to cherish, to challenge me in my faith. Would you pray with me? Father, we realize that there are times in, as I came into this passage, just what looks like kind of a, I call it a transitional passage. It's just kind of, it's in between. It's just kind of in between uh, what's going on in other things as we get on to maybe things that are in some sense a little more what I thought important. But as going through this passage, I realized you work so often in the simple times in life. A word, a challenge, a phone call, an email where you're saying through somebody else, hey, check something there. The Lord's using this to grow you into greater depth in your faith. Lord, we trust you that you do that. We receive this word. Help us now to grow in it. In Jesus' name, amen.